0: Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. A huge thank you to my new supporters on Patreon this week. That's Kilogram Jam, what a great name, Bronte Doherty, and to Andrew Billington for increasing his support. I hope the three of you enjoy bonus episode 8 that was released on Sunday and thank you all so much for your support on Patreon. It's much appreciated. Now, have you ever been involved in public disorder? maybe at a football match, or else even a full-blown riot? If so, you will know it can be a terrifying experience. And today we look at a series of riots in northern cities in the UK in the summer of 2001, concentrating on events in the town of Oldham. But before we get started, a quick word from the sponsors of today's show, Tide.co. Let's face it, if you run a small business, the high street banks are just rubbish, aren't they? Weeks to set up an account, unjustified fees, no features you need, and oh, they're just so slow. At tide.co, you don't have to put up with this anymore. Contact them today to take advantage of an offer for listeners to this podcast of six months of free transfers. Let's be clear this is a 100% free account for six months before going to a pay as you go account with no monthly fees ever. To take advantage of this offer, please head to tide.co forward slash truecrime and use the promo code truecrime. That is tide.co forward slash truecrime and use the promo code truecrime. I'm delighted that today's show is also sponsored by Harry's. As you know, Harry's products give me the best shave I've ever had for my delicate skin and I always use their products. Why wouldn't I? I don't have to fight my way around the supermarket paying premium prices, but can have it all delivered to my door, all for a great price. Please join me and many others today by making your first order at Harry's for the special offer price of just £2.95, for which you'll receive a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. Just go to harrys.com slash truecrime right now. That's harrys.com slash truecrime. A great shave and supporting this podcast. Go on, do it right now. Let's take a look at the music we were listening to at the time of the Olden Riots in the summer of 2001. The two top spots in the UK charts were filled by the true legends that our great-grandchildren will be listening to. Oh yes, Sinatra, Jagger, Prince and these guys. Number one was Blue with If You Come Back followed by Westlife with Queen of My Heart. In the US, Survivor by Destiny's Child took the top position and in Australia in 2001, the best-selling album was the soundtrack from Moulin Rouge. I bet you bought the album, right? In the news this month, a stampede at a football match in Ghana left 129 people dead. DreamWorks released their tribute to Wayne Rooney with the film Shrek being released. And in a good season on Everest... 15-year-old Sherpa Temba DeSherry became the youngest person to reach the top of the mountain and 32-year-old Eric Weinmeier of Boulder, Colorado became the first blind person to summit. In the summer of 2001, the northern English towns of Oldham, Burnley and Bradford saw violent clashes between local communities and the police, culminating in the riots of the 7th to the 9th of July in Bradford, in which more than 300 police officers were hurt. In Bradford there were 297 arrests in total, 187 people were charged with the offence of riot, 45 with violent disorder and 200 jail sentences totalling 604 years were handed down. The last rioter was tracked down and sentenced six and a half years after the events. But the Bradford riots only came about due to events further to the west in Oldham and this is where we're going to focus our attention today. As the violence spread, almost every night these riots were on our TV screens, shocking the nation in the worst violence seen in the UK since the Handsworth, Brixton and Tottenham uprisings of 1985. This isn't the place to go into detail about the deep social or political reasons for the riots. Instead, we're going to examine the events as they were felt by local people. But before we do so, to give it some context... We have to realise that the violence was very different to the riots of 1985. Aaron Kundani of the Institute of Race Relations described it in the following way. Whereas the 1981 and the 1985 uprisings against the police in Brixton, Handsworth, Tottenham and Toxteth had been the violence of a community united, black and white, in their anger at the heavy manners of the police, the fires this time were lit by the youths of communities falling apart from within, as well as without. Youths whose violence was, therefore, all the more desperate. It was the violence of communities fragmented by colour lines, class lines and police lines. It was the violence of hopelessness. It was the violence of the violated. Have you ever been to Oldham? I was last there on the 8th of February 1992, having travelled from university in Wales to watch footballing legend Eric Cantona make his debut for Leeds United. He came on as a second-half sub, was largely anonymous, and we lost 2-0. Typical Leeds. Oldham is a town around seven miles northeast of Manchester, which became significant in the 19th century as an international centre of textile manufacture. It was a boom town of the Industrial Revolution, and among the first-ever industrialised towns, rapidly becoming one of the most important centres of cotton and textile industries in England. At its height, it was the most productive cotton-spinning mill town in the world, producing more cotton than France and Germany combined. But Oldham's textile industry fell into decline in the mid-20th century, with the town's last mill closed in 1998. Oldham has produced people who offer great insight in entertainment, such as Professor Brian Cox. But then again, it also gave us cannon and ball. In 2001 in Oldham, unemployment was high, especially among young people. There were also deep and long-standing social problems related to racism and deprivation within communities of all ethnic backgrounds. We'll now examine how a number of incidents occurred in 2001 across this backdrop of deprivation, stoked by the fire of far-right nationalism by the British National Party and others. On January 27th, 2001, 23-year-old Mark Clayton was stabbed by a group of Asian teenagers in Oldham. After being stabbed twice in the leg, Mark was lucky to survive as he lost about five pints of blood when a main artery was severed. Other reported racial incidents saw a white man hit on the head by Asian assailants who then set their Rottweiler dog on him. Reacting to the attacks, Oldham's police chief claimed that Asian youths were responsible for more than half the racist attacks in the town, saying he was concerned about the increase of racist attacks by gangs of Pakistani and Bangladeshi origin. He added that in the last 12 months there had been 572 racial incidents, 60% of which were committed by Asians against white men. He called an emergency meeting with community leaders and council representatives to discuss the situation. But these remarks, understandably, caused tremendous frustration in the Asian community and an Oldham councillor, Abdul Qayyam, criticised his decision to focus on assaults committed by Asian men. Qayyam expressed sympathy with the victims of the attacks and called on the Asian community to come forward if they had any information about any of the crimes. But he said that such attacks and those committed by white men against Asians were part of a long-running problem in the area. I think the issue is broader than that. We really need to get to the root of the problem, which has been around for a number of years, he said. He spoke for many in the community when he criticised the police chief, saying this is not the first time he's made statements like this. He has a history of blaming only one part of the community. These unhelpful and divisive comments from community leaders raised tensions in the area. And this was seized on by the far-right groups, who prey on such community weakness. The National Front attempted to hold a rally in Oldham in March. Then on the 19th of April, a group of Asian youths claimed on local radio that there were no go areas for white people in Oldham. Tensions were rising quickly, but this was just the start as three days later, a war hero was attacked in a seemingly racist attack. 76-year-old Walter Chamberlain was a D-Day veteran and a retired bus conductor. On the 21st of April, he was walking home through Oldham from watching an amateur rugby match when he was attacked and robbed by three Asian youths. He was dragged to the ground, kicked in the face and battered with a coffee flask he'd been carrying, breaking his cheekbones. As you can imagine, the badly bruised face of an elderly war hero in the headlines caused a national outrage. The front page of the local newspaper, the Manchester Evening News, Showed a picture of his face along with the words reportedly said to him by his attackers I quote, now get out of our area. This assault seemed to confirm fears that no go areas were forming in Oldham, although the suggestion was vigorously denied by police and Asian community leaders. And the tensions in Oldham in this long, hot summer were ratcheted up another notch. This was seized upon by the head of the British National Party. Nick Griffin, who on April 24th announced that he would stand in the general election in Oldham to take advantage of rising tensions between white and Asian communities. Let's pause for a moment to talk about the BNP at this time and their leader, Nick Griffin. On the surface, Griffin appeared a decent chap. He was a law graduate from Cambridge University, married to Jackie with four children when he joined the BNP in 1995 but it didn't take much scratching beneath the surface to uncover his deeply offensive views. For example, in 2004 Griffin was secretly filmed by the BBC telling a crowd that Islam was a, quote, wicked, vicious faith. Then there was his disastrous appearance on the BBC programme Question Time. Do you remember that? He'd always been racist, but he saw an opportunity by joining the BNP to try and make it more socially acceptable. This is all relative, of course, and most normal people still abhorred everything about this organisation and what they stood for. But after winning a leadership battle in 1999, he set about implementing his modernising agenda, coming up with a new logo, embracing the media and hoovering up support from the many far-right splinters of this time, most notably the National Democrats. On the same day, a further flashpoint occurred when several racist incidents happened in the town involving visiting football supporters from Stoke City Football Club who deliberately walked through multi-racial areas of the town before and after the match against Oldham. Attacks followed, initially from Stoke City fans and then more serious attacks retaliating against the violence and petrol bomb throwing from local male Asian groups. If you've witnessed this sort of violence before you will understand just how incredibly distressing and intimidating it must have been for local people. The tension increased still further. On Friday, May the 4th, the Home Secretary Jack Straw approved a ban on all political marches in Oldham after the National Front announced its plans to hold a rally the following Saturday. But just the very next day on the 5th of May there was a day of mounting tension and run-ins between racist and anti-racist groups in the town. Up to 50 National Front supporters, mainly from Birmingham and London, arrived in Oldham, clashing with members of the Anti-Nazi League and local Asian groups. 500 police were deployed, one person was stabbed, and the events received extensive media coverage. By now tensions were sky-high, and every small incident that would normally hardly raise an eyebrow took on huge proportions. This was a case at a local school, Breeze Hill. From the 20th of May, there were a number of racist incidents where a number of white youths, some of whom were ex-pupils of the school, approached the school, throwing stones and projectiles at the premises and shouting racist insults at the majority Asian school pupils. Police were called for five consecutive days from the 21st of May, to dissipate the disturbances. All this was reported by the local press and the tension in the town continued to erase until it approached boiling point. Then on May the 26th, the final spark occurred which led to the riots. It was in the evening when an incident took place in the Asian districts of Glodwick. A group of Asian boys had been playing cricket near the Good Taste chip shop when there was an argument with two white children The children all knew each other, living just streets apart, but a brief fight ensued along with racist language on both sides. The altercation moved close to where 38-year-old Sharon Hoy lived. She called her brother, Darren, 25, who was drinking at a pub in the centre of Oldham with his mates, telling him that an Asian man had kicked her door in. And then it all started. Soon after, two carloads of white men turned up in the vicinity, and began a concentrated period of attacking Asian people who were in their way, and also attacking the properties of any Asian people they saw, seemingly at random. Can you imagine how this must have been for the Asian community, who already felt that they were under attack? One house attack belonged to the Azam family, whose daughter Farida was 34 weeks pregnant. Bricks were thrown at her house, and the shock of what was happening led to her being rushed to hospital suffering from the shock. As well as homes, shops were also targeted by the louts and one nearby Asian shopkeeper was forced to escape through the back door as the windows of his business were smashed. The police were called and arrested a number of white people. However, a number of Asian men who had understandably tried to fight back as their neighbourhood was under siege, they were also arrested. To many members of the Asian community, this was the breaking point. Arresting members of their community protecting themselves seemed to confirm their long-held perception of bias against them, and they turned their anger, frustration, on the police officers at the scene. The Manchester evening newspaper interviewed one Asian resident involved in the violence who said, "A woman had her window put through. We told the police where to go and who these people were, and they just stood there doing nothing. They then arrested a Pakistani lad who'd just been defending himself. But this accusation of bias was vigorously denied by the head of Oldham Police. He said, I completely refute that. There was an incident, the police were there quickly, and three white men were arrested. The white owned Live and Let Live pub was targeted and pelted with bricks, stones, bottles, and then petrol bombs. In an attempt to stop drinkers escaping the turmoil, cars were parked in front of the exit to the pub. Cars in the surrounding roads were ignited and the police were called. The Asian males weren't ready to go home quietly and they attacked the police officers who arrived at the scene. A night of violence began and riot police were quickly drafted in to the Gladwick area where the Asian rioters fought street battles with them. A tense standoff between police and up to 500 Asian youths continued until the early hours. Officers faced a hail of petrol bombs, bricks, and bottles from rioters hiding behind barricades of furniture, wooden pallets and burning tyres. One policeman who was called to the scene said, We were told to suit up in our riot gear and quickly briefed on what had been happening. They just needed everyone they could to get to Glodwick. Ian Gradwell, whose family business was next to the pub, said, The street was strewn with broken bottles and tyres the next day. It was like something from a film set. I wonder if you can stop and just picture the sights, noises and smells of that night. Richard Stead, a BBC Radio Manchester reporter, described the evening as follows. I was on duty on the evening of Saturday 26th of May, when we began to get calls to the newsroom saying that gangs of Asian youths were rioting. When I arrived at the Live and Let Live pub, hundreds of people were out on the streets. The pub's windows had been smashed. Police were gathering with their batons and riot shields. It was eerily quiet for about 20 minutes. Then the youths came back throwing bricks, stones, fireworks and petrol bombs. I watched them a safe distance while cars were being torched and police lines pushed back. Every now and then, officers were stretched into ambulances after their uniform caught fire. It was around daybreak when the violence petered out. Community leaders called for calm. But the next night an Asian supermarket was set on fire, the offices of a local newspaper were firebombed and barricades of furniture and tyres were set alight. Further trouble fled when the pub, the Jolly Carter, was bombarded with bricks by up to 40 people. Elsewhere in the town, about 30 white people chanted racist songs as they walked from pub to pub before being dispersed by police. There were no reports of injuries, but seven white youths and five Asian youths were arrested during the night. The violence continued for the next few days. On Monday, May 28th, police again attempted to stop the violence, but it happened again as 50 white youths headed towards the Goldwick Estate, a mostly Pakistani and Bangladeshi area, retaliating for the violence of the previous nights. Eighteen white youths and three Asian youths were arrested. Fifteen police were injured and minor rioting and vandalism continued throughout the night. On Tuesday, May 29th, with local elections due on June 7th, the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, backed the heavy police effort to contain the violence. Police continued to try to defuse the situation by blaming the racial conflicts on far-right groups, while Tony Blair condemned the actions of white extremists as bad and aggressive behaviour. Nick Griffin, leader of the BNP, hit back at claims that he was trying to whip up racial tensions. But if you look at the material being produced by the BNP at this time, this was a ludicrous position to take, even for a group as dumb as the BNP. For example, Nick Griffin's campaign literature in the run-up to the June elections began, Winning for white, Oldham, winning for you. Crazy, isn't it? Muslim rioters tear the town apart, attacking white people, houses and shops, and petrol bombing and shooting at the police, and yet whites like us are getting the blame. It ended, Nick Griffin and the BNP, or the pro-Muslim Labour Party? Make up your own mind, and think of your family as you vote British National Party. Yes Nick, no attempt to incite racial tension there, perished the thought. All was relatively quiet until June 1st, six days after the riots began, when a petrol bomb was thrown at the home of councillor Rayaz Ahmad, an accountant and a local magistrate causing serious fire damage. The Oldham councillor, who'd only just managed to escape with his wife Sophia and their four children, had been trying his best to stop the escalation of violence over the previous days. He later told the Manchester Evening News, I spent the night trying to reason with the people involved, but they would not listen. I felt helpless. I was totally distraught that the borough that I'd worked so hard for was going up in flames. Seeing your town compared to Beirut in the world news in such a horrible light was a new experience. In the days after, things were very tense. I remember walking through the town centre and seeing a tension between everyone that was so visible you could cut it with a knife. I knew Asian and white families who were actually sat on their doorstep all night guarding against the fear of petrol bombs. When we realised our house had been firebombed, we did not leave immediately. I feared that somebody would be waiting out the front or the back, ready to attack us again. We managed to get clear of the house and stood on the lawn and watched our house go up in flames. Those few moments will last forever. This was the end of the major violence in Oldham, although the trouble spilled over and there was violence in the northern cities of Bradford, Leeds, Burnley and Stoke. Greater Manchester's police costs for the summer of violence in Oldham totalled over £2.2 million. A total of 82 police officers and 22 passers-by were injured, and hundreds of arrests were made. Darren and Sharon Hoy, along with a group of eight others who had sparked the riots on May the 26th, were convicted for a fray and jailed for nine months for their part in the riot. In court, it was revealed that Darren Hoy and his mates had spent the day drinking moving from pub to pub, chanting racist abuse and singing white supremacist songs. The court heard that they just left one pub when Hoy received a phone call saying the home of his sister was under attack. In reality, the Asian boys were confronting two white children who'd attacked one of them with a brick. Hoy and his friends responded by taking taxis to the area where the home of the Asian children were attacked with bricks Before other Asians came under attack from white men armed with sticks, cars were damaged and Asian owned businesses targeted. The judge told the group, All of you were ready to team up mob handed, fueled by alcohol. It was hardly surprising, he said, that Asian men had rushed to defend that area. Detective Chief Inspector Bottomley of Greater Manchester Police said, Each of these 12 people was very much involved in instigating the initial disturbance and are responsible for the events that ensued. Their disgusting behaviour caused not only physical, but emotional damage, the effects of which will be felt for years to come. And what happened to Walter Chamberlain, the D-Day veteran? A 14-year-old Asian boy was later jailed for the attack. But Walter's family tried to play down any racist element, insisting it had simply been a mugging. Walter, who needed surgery to reconstruct his face, gave evidence at the trial and sadly died in 2009. Even a decade after the attack, his family were too upset to speak about the impact of the attack. His son Stephen, who had previously carried out a series of interviews in a bid to defuse the race row, told the Manchester Union Newspaper in 2011, it brings back too many painful memories. Dad died two years ago, partly due to all the problems. And what happened to the Livernet Live pub, which was at the centre of the riots? Owners Paul and Anne Burroughs bravely reopened the following day, despite the terror of the events of the previous evening, but their business never recovered. The pub eventually closed and fell into disrepair, but it's now been resurrected as part of the area's regeneration, and it's now a clothing and fabric shop. Owner Zafar Ullah, a former youth worker, believes it was important to change the face of a building that fell victim to a community's fear and misunderstanding. He believes it was not a case of Asians taking over a white business, but rather a fresh start for everyone in Glodwick. He said, The pub was derelict and hadn't been used for years. No one was gaining from it just sitting there crumbling. We've put it to new use and it's bringing people into the area, spending money. The majority of people are mixing quite well. But there is still fear when you see a big group of white lads or Asian lads outside a shop. People might feel uneasy, but that doesn't mean the area is no-go. It's the minority of people who cause the problems, white and Asian. And what happened to Nick Griffin and the British National Party? The Oldham elections in June 2001 were Griffin's first real test as leader, and he came through strong, standing himself in Oldham West and receiving 6,500 votes but it was not to last. The far-right's attempt to look respectable so they could win elections was coming unstuck. In July 2014, Griffin lost his seat in the European Parliament and resigned as leader, of the BNP. However, after Adam Walker took over from him, it seems that Griffin struggled to cope with losing power and he was expelled from the party. In his expulsion hearing, the ex-leader was accused of harassing staff, making physical threats and bringing the party into disrepute, deliberately trying to cause a crisis and disobeying instructions. Nice work. Nick did not adjust well, Walker said after the expulsion of Griffin, and it soon became obvious he was unable to work as an equal member of the team, and alarmingly his behaviour became more erratic and disruptive. As well as this, Griffin was declared bankrupt for the second time in 2014, Then in March 2017, he made the headlines again when, wait for it, he expressed a desire to emigrate to Hungary. But, alas, in May 2017, he was banned from Hungary as he was perceived to be a national security threat. Griffin tweeted about appealing this ban. And no doubt, you have as much sympathy for this man as me. Poor, poor Nick. So what do you make of what we've heard today? I know it's a slightly different case to normal, but it's an interesting case, I think. It seems that all the tension in the community came to a head in that one week in 2001. The official investigation into what happened was led by Ted Cantle, the former head of Nottingham City Council and an expert in community cohesion, whatever that means. He slated civic and central government policy, he said that people were living parallel and polarised lives, where people from different ethnic backgrounds simply did not mix. One community had services designed for their needs in one area, such as employment training, schools, and voluntary bodies, and an exact but separate replica could be found working independently for other communities. He said, These lives did not often seem to touch at any point, let alone overlap and promote any meaningful interchanges. But 16 years on from the Oldham riots, we still struggle to understand and discuss issues of race and integration. I can't help but wonder whether the issues that led to the riots in Oldham have actually been dealt with at all. Sadly, I think most of you listening to this podcast would suggest that nothing's changed. Indeed, 15 years after his report... Professor Cantor said that on one hand, it was slightly positive, there was more mixing of the communities, but overall his conclusion was damning. Nadia Hussain, the British Bangladeshi winner of the Great British Bake Off, has done more, he said, to promote integration than anything governments have done in the past 15 years. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. Please support the show at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime where for just £3 a month you'll have access to the eight full-length bonus episodes as well as other exclusive content. Please also join our Facebook group where you can discuss this episode and all other aspects of UK True Crime. And finally, don't forget to check out Tide.co and also to order your shaving kit from Harry's. In the wise words of Dale Boy... You know it makes sense. That's all from me for now, so until we speak next Tuesday, cheerio.